Alrighty. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Business Uncut. Today I've got Rachel here from our team and uh, Rachel is one of our senior client managers here. Um, she has her own client set and has been in the industry for um, over 19 years now, Rach. Yeah, we'll say that. <laughs> I'm showing my age if it's older, yeah. <laughs> longer. <laughs> so welcome to the uh, this episode, Rach. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for coming and, and having a chat. But today we're going to go through one of the most most important, I, th I think, one of the most important um, issues and factors and foundational um, uh, f factors, I guess, in any type of business, and, and that's in, uh, to do with the structuring. Um, why I invited you on here today is because I, I think you are probably one of the, um, the best at coming up with um, the ideal structure for clients. Um, you go through this day in, day out. Um, new clients, existing clients, finding out you know, um, issues within in, and cracks within their current structures and then um, finding a solution. So I guess we'll start off with Rach, with talking about um, why it's so important to have the right structure in the first place. Yeah, so obviously we have a lot of clients that might come to us that are starting business um, they don't know if it's going to work out, but we always set up a structure with the end in mind. So it's really important that the structure that you start with is going to serve you across your whole lifetime of your business. Um, so in terms of structure, there's a couple of reasons for different structures. One is you know, tax. Obviously, we want to try and minimise tax as much as we can. Another factor that we look at when we're looking at structuring is um, family dynamics in terms of who you've got in your family group and, and who you might be able to use to help minimise tax or risk. Um, another one is, you know, um, capital gains. So, you know, depending on what you're doing in terms of your business or what the reason is for um, purchasing something or needing advice around a structure is, what is the reason? So we can make sure that we're, again, looking with the end in mind and making sure that we're not going to have a nasty surprise at the end when we maybe sell the business or sell the asset that's within that structure. Um, and another one is just looking at growth and scale and I guess looking at how to get that money out of that structure without it causing a real problem because we're trying to balance tax minimisation, asset protection and then your availability to access the funds or the profits that that business is making. Yeah, exactly right. And that's what we find all the time, right? We're always finding that clients that we come across, they're always just looking at tax and and great structuring i believe and you probably you have the same uh, mindset is is a holistic approach in that we're not only aligning great tax minimization strategies but we're also aligning that with personal goals and wealth and how do we get that out in a in a, in a way that every each of your structure structures of businesses and your personal life is benefiting um and and that's where i want to go to next is basically um, over the years of restructuring businesses, dealing with startups all the way to businesses that are going to be sold. Let's talk about some more stories. So let's start off with, I don't know, maybe something around um, a situation where you've seen a client pay way too much in tax and it could have been solved with you know, simple structuring. So I guess the, the beginning one, which I touched on earlier, is, is where you're starting out in business and you don't know if it's... I'll just have a dabble and I might just set up the most simplest and cheapest structure to begin with. And that structure is obviously a sole trader structure. Uh, so there's no way that you can get essentially that profit out of that business unless you are you know, hiring 
family members where it's not, I guess, what they call personal services income uh, and you haven't got restrictions there. But let's say you had a, a business where you were selling goods and you, you're just doing an e-com startup and you set it up as a sole trader because all you have to do is apply for an ABN and potentially register for GST. Um, but you've just had a bumper year and you end up with a huge profit, let's say 200,000, and you now have to pay tax at your personal marginal tax rates. So that also then flows on to not only just the personal tax rates that we have to deal with, but also if you haven't got private health, there's a surcharge that comes with that. And, um, and if you've got a help debt, so you know we've seen it a lot in COVID where people are starting up businesses uh, as a sole trader, they're doing a uni on the side and their business has just gone crazy and they have this huge help debt to repay as well. So, you know, I know, I understand that people don't want to spend a significant amount of money for something that might not work out. But if you set it up in the beginning, then you're not going to have to deal with potentially restructuring it down the track, which is going to cost you that same setup fee of that structure down mm. the track. But also it's going to cost you advice into how can you change that structure, um, say, for example, from a sole trader to a trust or a company, um, and can you access certain concessions so that you don't have tax to pay when you change it from one structure to another. So there is relief in place that the ATO or you know the government has provided in legislation, but there are certain boxes to tick as well. So you might not get a tax-free restructure. So it's really important, you know, you consider, is it worth it setting up a structure that might cost me $1,500 mm. as opposed to nothing, um, but it's going to be there forever and it's going to be a, enable my business to grow and it's also going to provide me with some asset protection yeah. along the way. Can you provide way. us some examples around that restructuring? I know that we've come across a few in our firm where, where some of these businesses have grown extremely fast um, and some to the point where they've missed out on that restructuring rollover relief. Um, what's an example, it doesn't have to be exact figures, but what would be an example of some figures that you could tell our listeners and, and say, well, because they didn't restructure, this is this, is, this was basically the outcome of it. Yeah. Yep. So there's a, there's a couple of um, relief measures in place. One, one is the small business um, restructure that you can do where you're changing it from one structure to another. And certain um, things have to be in place so that you can have a tax-free rollover. So I think from memory, it's section 328G, I think from memory, but essentially what you do is you roll it from a structure, from say a sole trader into a trust um, so that you can then you know, get the profit out and distribute it how you like amongst family members or, or other entities within your group, um, as opposed to having it as a sole trader. But we've got to make sure that we satisfy you know, less than $2 million turnover. We've got to look at $6 million net asset test as well. So if you've grown hugely, your turnover is over 2 million and your assets or your wealth in your group is more than 6 million, we might be limited to be able to do a tax-free restructure into a different, um, uh, you know, structure type. Um, another one is, so where we, you know, we might not be using a small business restructure, we might be using small business CGT concessions. Um, so that's where, you know, you assess the value of the business, you model it into a different structure, you effectively have a capital gain on the on the value of that business. And then we've got to look to apply concessions to that business. So effectively what you're doing is selling the goodwill from one structure to another, and that's a capital gains tax event. Uh, so 
we've got to make sure that then you satisfy the you know the two million and the six million tests to ensure that we can minimise that capital gain. Um, but in some cases, you might be left with a 25% capital gain, mm. um, and you've still got tax to pay because you might not want to put 25% of the gain into super to achieve a tax-free result. Mm. Um, but also with that 25% putting it into super, you've got a lifetime limit of only $500,000 to, you know, to use up. So you're, you're using it for the purpose of restructuring to a structure that you should have had at the beginning. So it's a bit of a waste in, in some terms of using that 500 now, whereas you could use it later when you really sell the business, you know, to someone else and you've got options there to, to enable you to um, have a tax-free capital gain. There's a lot of lot of mm. intricacies in the, in the legislation. You've really got to look at it. But the advice that comes with it, you know, I can't put a dollar figure on the advice, um, but the cost of setting up the structure is nothing compared to the tax saving and the advice that you have to go through to get it into the structure that it should have been at the beginning. That's exactly right. And, and the way I like to tell anyone, any client or future client, is that this is not an expense, this is an investment. An investment that will pay back um, tenfold if, you, if, if, you, if it's done right and you're making money in your business, it's going to pay back dividends in terms of tax minimization and asset protection and so forth. So think about it before you do, before you engage or start your business, start planning, if you are doing a cash flow projection, it's probably wise to put a couple of thousand dollars into your projection to do some um, structuring advice and, and setting up the right structure. Yeah, yeah. it's um, you know it, it is sad to see sometimes that um, an incorrect structure has been input and then the client is paying more than they should be, um, but it happens and and it, it, it all starts from poor planning from the start. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So that sort of covers, I guess, um, you know, some stories around um, tax minimization and, and and more so around that sort of uh, CGT aspect from transferring the business from a sole trader to. Um, uh, let's say a, a trust or a company, but how about talking about risk? So let, let's talk about risk, and and this is um, I think a very important factor. And even before considering tax, um, I I think that is it is what probably um, more important than the tax side, and, and that's mitigation of risk. So can we talk about that and how people can protect their assets or their business or even themselves? Yep, absolutely. So in terms of structuring, for example, if you were going to set up a new business and you were, you were trading with the public and you were, uh, or you know, or you were in construction or, or selling goods and so goods, basically, there's inherent risk already in what you're doing in terms of, say, for example, in terms of the goods, if you're manufacturing them, um, you're at risk with product liability. So if someone gets injured from, from that product and your insurance for some reason you're, you're found negligent and it doesn't cover it, then all of the assets that you have, so let's say you're in a sole trader position, all of the assets that you have are at risk because you then have to basically fund that payout or that claim. Um, other reasons why you can be at risk um, regardless of structure, which is important to note, is if you provide personal guarantees for any loans that you might need, you know, as working capital for the business or, or you know, vehicles or that, or that sort of thing. Um, if you've got a company and you're the director, you're providing a personal guarantee. So you're basically saying to the bank, look, if the company fails paying this debt down, I'm on the hook and, and I'll pay it. So when you're looking at a company structure and you've got a family group in place, you don't want to put both partners, the husband and wife or the partners, 
at both at risk when you're in when you're in a trading company because you want to try and just leave the risk with only one of you. So you have um, what we call a risk taker, and you also have like the asset holder. So let's say you've got a trading company. You might be in construction or some other business, and you're you're building wealth, which is great, and you want to buy some assets. Um, we've got to consider the risk of that company and and the business that you're operating, and whether those assets that you're buying, maybe to use in the business, could be put in a separate structure away from the risk of the trading entity. So, such as you know, if you're buying big excavators or cars or or things that you need inherent to operate that business. If something happens and, and insurance doesn't cover it again, those, you know, you, you might have to say liquidate the company, the purse guarantee get called, the, the assets will be sold in a fire sale to recoup some money and you won't be able to then effectively start that business again because all of the assets that you were using in the business are now gone. So another way to protect those assets and enable you to potentially start up another business not phoenixing i'm not canvassing <laughs> saying that but if you if you know the business went down through no fault of your own it just it, it just went under not from paying debts but from say a risk event then you might be able to use those assets in a in a different company yeah um, because you haven't lost them essentially um also your personal assets so um you know some people do look at their family homes and think maybe i shouldn't have the family home all in my name. Maybe I should only own one one hundredth of one one hundredth of it. Um, so you've got to consider that too, because your personal assets can be at risk. So as I said, directors, um, personal guarantees, trading entity from loans and other things. Um, also, the ATO can issue um, company directors director penalty notices as well, and that can come from things such as unpaid pays you go withholding for staff. You know the wages um, mm. tax on the wages, superannuation can be another one, and and GST. So. Um, you've really got to be mindful of, of what you're what you're doing in that business. And they're cracking down on that, aren't they? Right now, they will oh, be. Yeah. They need yeah, their they money are. back. They've given away too much, and they need That's money right. back. That's right. So COVID, you know, um, there's a lot of relief handed out from the government, and they're going to have to recoup it. Hmm. Um, so they did have a sort of like a stay of execution on direct penalty notices and issuing things for unpaid, you know, buses and pay as you go withholding super that sort of thing. Um, but if they they issue you a direct penalty notice, you've got to respond to that within 21 days of that letter and you've got to deal deal with it. Um, and that, that notice then means that that debt is allocated to you. So it's really, you could almost, I think, entirely difficult to get out of once a direct penalty notice is issued. So again, that's that reason for leaving one as the risk taker and one as the asset, take, asset holder mm -hmm. um, in terms of entities. Yeah, and it doesn't have yeah. to be extremely complicated. A lot of people think, oh, we've got to go into a restructure or, or design a structure where it's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and we've got to mm. do this and that. But it's something as simple as changing the shareholder or having the right shareholder of the company rather than the director. This, it, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, in, in this example, basically, you have a company, um, a director of a company, who may, who may have done something wrong and they're liable, but they're also the shareholder of that company, which means yeah. that then that asset being the business and the company itself, it's up for grabs. So yeah. I think that's where people, a lot of people um, don't look into the future and don't plan far enough. And, yeah. and that's something that we really, really promote here is have a look at what your assets are, what the future value of that business may be, your future value of your houses, your cars, whatever it may be, and separate it so you have a risk taker and an asset holder. Now, it's not always going to be the case where you will have an asset holder and a risk taker because 
you may not have a wife, you may not have a partner, you may not have a husband, but there's, there are still ways to mitigate the risk. So best thing to do is talk to your accountant, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And before you start your business so that yes. we can at least advise you so you can actually make a decision that's well-informed. And, it, and it's certainly not because we want fees to set things up. We actually want to protect you and make sure that your business works for you in the long run, not just for one year, you know, for example, as a sole trader, and then you have to move it along into some other structure, which can be costly. Exactly right. So typically, in a in a family structure, um, they have a business, they have a couple of properties. Who do you usually see as the risk taker? Who do you usually see as the asset holder? And, and how do they sort of work together? Um, so the the risk taker I usually put as the one who's actually involved in running the business. Um, you know, so say say that's the husband in a construction company is a builder, he'll be the one that that'll be the risk taker or the or the person in that in that um, scenario. Usually, the it might be a, a partner that might be on wages, while the, the other one is is trying to set up this business and 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 um, you know look after their their future by having their own business rather than working for someone. So when you look at a, a family dynamic, I think the one that's operating the business should be the risk taker. The other one who might be on wages working for an external party should be the one that's the asset holder. And that's because there's not a really a lot of inherent risk with being an employee working for an external business. You won't be held held to ransom essentially for things that might go wrong in that business that you're working for as an employee. So that's the one that should be the asset holder. And if they're, uh, if they're getting into investments such as shares and, and or other prop rental properties or commercial property, what would you recommend on that side? Uh, again, so we'd look at the family dynamic. The best yep. and most flexible structure when you're looking at assets like that um, is we consider obviously minimisation of tax, but we also look at flexibility of distributions, which help minimise tax. And again, we look at capital gains tax discounting that might be available. So if you go and hold, say, investment properties or shares that have good growth in them in a company, those assets don't get any CGT discounting at all. Whereas an individual, you know, so say it was held through a trust and you distributed those capital gains to an individual from the trust, you're, you can get a 50% discount straight away on that capital gain. So you'll pay tax on half of the gain. Whereas in a company, you'll pay tax on the whole gain, but at the company tax rate. And then you've got the issue of, well, how do I get that money out of that company? because it's stuck right. in there unless you pay a wage, pay a dividend, take it as a loan, but then we've got Division 7A consequences to deal with. Don't mm. want to bore you with that, but it's very important that we think about all of these aspects when restructure. That's exactly right. And going back to the risk taker and asset holder, I want everyone to acknowledge that, um, that one of the ma main questions that we get is, well, if my husband is the asset holder or the risk taker? What happens in terms of a split or a breakup? Um, what do you say um, around that? And what's your recommendation, Rach? Many, many questions. It comes up all the time <laughs> because you don't know what the future holds in terms of your relationship. But my understanding, and I'm not a lawyer, so I'll preface that, but my understanding is how the family um, law works is that basically all of the assets, no matter what structure you're in, what assets, which structure holds those assets, it's part of your family group. So when the family court or your law, family lawyers come along, they look at the entire group of assets regardless and they put it all in a pool. And that pool is then divided up based on your um, agreement, yeah, I guess, you yes. know, with that 50-50 or whatever. So, yeah, you know, you, you I've heard some horror stories, but the way that, that the family law court works is, is that. And it's also got to be fair. 
So, so don't think that you're going to lose everything because your partner holds all the assets or has what you know deemed control of all of, the, of those assets. Um, exactly no. right. And speak to your family lawyer as well about that. And you, you can put these, uh, yeah, I, I guess, plans in place. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Um, now, one thing I did want to mention is, um, it, although this is absolutely amazing advice that's coming out, um, it's it's it needs to be tailored to your situation. So just because you've heard Rach talking about um, different ways to structure your business and your assets, um, that may not be for you. So we have clients come in all the time and say, hey, uh, my neighbor John, came along and said that he's running a, a trust and he has an SMSF, etc., etc. But um, John's situation in life is completely different to another person's situa- situation. So it's important to actually talk to someone. They lay it out on a piece of paper that says, this is what I have. I have a house, I have a business, I have these family members, and then create the structure from there. So don't go copying your neighbor. That's a, no, a that's one of our biggest pieces of advice. Yeah, and your mate at the barbecue isn't always the one that knows everything as well. So just exactly make sure right. you get a second opinion in anything. In anything no. at all, because your mate at the barbecue, he may be saving thousands, but is he, he may not be compliant. So you've got to be careful as well. Yeah, there are always the stories we hear. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Now, how about um, those businesses with a large amount of business assets, um, both, I guess, tangible and intangible? What do we yep. do in that situation? Yep. So we don't want the, you know, the the face of the business or the trading entity to be the one that holds all those assets. Again, for that what we discussed earlier, you know, business risk. Um, you don't want all of those at risk. The value of all of those. So you might have trademarks or intellectual property. Um, you should ideally hold those in a separate structure from the trading entity. And you know, you can work with a lawyer and an accountant to create an agreement where the trading entity pays the other entity for the use of that trademark or intellectual property. That way it's protected in an entity separate from the trading entity as well. Um, So it's really, really important to look at that. I know it's another entity, but it's also going to save you from from you know disaster essentially if if you have an event in in that trading entity and it's holding everything. Um, so I would recommend that you can you can know there's license agreements and other things that that can be done between those two entities to essentially pay a fee from one to the other. Um, and that trading entity as well. One important thing to note is especially if you're using a company. You don't want to have all the assets sitting in there to be up for grabs from creditors or other things. So you want to try and flush out what we call the retained earnings of that business as quickly as possible, <coughs> um, excuse me, so that there's no risk uh, in there in terms of, again, creditors trying to grab the value of that entity. Mm. And it's an important um, note that you made about uh, agreements in place as well, guys. This is These structures um, can further be solidified with agreements from lawyers. So if you have business partners, assets and so forth that, that you need a particular type of agreement between, speak to your commercial lawyer um, because they those are, are probably just as important setting that up at the start as well. If you do have business partners, I know a lot of people out there who are going into business with their friends or family and then they don't have a an agreement, a shareholders agreement, partnership agreement, whatever agreement in place, but then they end up um, uh, having issues down the track when there is conflict. So um, separate issue, but just just keep that in mind as well. Um, one other, um, I guess, side I wanted to talk about is, and we get this, another one that we get all the time is, hey, I've just, I had one recently, didn't consult us and, and we always recommend to, to call us first um, before you make a big decision. Um, I've just bought a business and I've bought it in the same business that I own a commercial property in. Um, 
this is where I want to get into uh, about separation of assets, separation of businesses um, in certain entities. So um, any recommendations around that side, Rach? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you, you wouldn't want to hold again the asset in the trading entity because then it's up for grabs. I know that, you know, if there's a mortgage on it, the bank's got first call on it. But, you know, as you pay down that debt, there's going to be value there. And obviously what we've seen on the Gold Coast with the well, Australia wide, really, with yes. the property market going absolutely berserk, um, those assets are worth a lot more now um, than, than what they were, say, a year ago. So, um, again, you just want to mitigate risk build assets in a separate entity. Um, there is ability as well in terms of those assets with concessions that are in place with those small business concessions where you might have a commercial property that you've got in another entity, um, you're using it in your business and you're renting it from one to the other, you know, and you might be able to get potentially the sale of that property tax-free, subject to certain conditions being met along those small business concessions. So, you know, it's all about risk and future planning um, and, and what what is the intention of the asset? You know, is it something mm. that you're going to look to hang on to um, for your family? You know, because succession is a big thing to consider as well um, in terms of that. Exactly so, right. you yeah. know, all of these things you need to have a chat about. Um, I know it sounds really complex, but we deal with it every day and we only advise you the best way because as we said, we've seen really terrible outcomes for people where that structure or that foresight wasn't put into, you know, beforehand. Yeah. Um, and and running that. multiple businesses sometimes in the same entity, you know, that, that yeah. one is very, it can be very dangerous because yeah. if one business fails, it will bring That's down right. the other bring one. It'll bring a lot. It. Yeah. Yes. So you look at, you know, potentially it's like with locations, you know, you might have different branches across Australia or across the state that you operate in. You know, um, it might be good to have separate entities for separate locations again. So you can actually sell them independently of each other as well. Mm -hmm. um, you might have an employee that works in one that, you know, that's their plan. They want to buy the business off of you eventually. And it's good to separate that out of um, being in one entity as well, especially in terms of trying to work out, well, what's the worth of that business? What do I want to sell it for? Um, and, and it doesn't muddy the waters when you're trying to determine that amount um, as well. Another thing, just um, commenting about employees too, as you grow in business and you hire more people, you do have risk from employees. Um, accidents can happen, work cover may not cover it, and, and you could have a legal claim on your hands as well. So, you know, some recommendations that we have, are let the trading entity operate the business, let another entity employ the staff um, and pay a fee from one to the other. And that just keeps that risk over here and not in here. Um, so that, you know, any assets that you might be building up or wealth or you don't want the business to, to fall over because we've had a claim, you mm -hmm. know, um, entities, uh, employees can be put in a separate entity. Can make it a bit difficult when you're looking at traineeships or government grants or other things, but as long as the, the you know, where you're applying your grant or apprenticeships or whatever it might be, understands the structure, then it can be easily managed. Yeah, and that's important as well. You talk about um, you know, grants and, and so forth. That's why it's 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 essentially you do not copy other people's structures. Um, for example, if you're looking at an R and D grant, um, if you have a certain type of structure, you may not be eligible. So that's why I always just talk to someone first because if you're planning something and you think you know, get a second opinion. I'm going to keep going over that time and time again because yeah, it's super important. And you know, some people have missed out on grants because of this. Um, and and yeah, again, just talk to your advisor. Now, I think we'll probably wrap it up. However, um, if you could um, give your top tips for any new business or existing business owner out there around structuring, what do you? What would it be? Uh, so when you're starting out in business, 
speak to us first or speak to your advisor because we, we can provide recommendations. And we, when we bring on people and we want to talk about structure, we actually prepare an advice report with a diagram and explain the whole thing. So that's a top tip. Don't be scared to ask the question. Don't go in cheap and, and you know, at a sole trader level, really consider what it is that you're doing and what is the business that you're, you're growing. Um, and then have a chat with someone to, to obtain some structure advice um, because down the track, it's going to cost you to change it. You know, um, I've come across so many um, and, and some have been good stories. We've been able to fight like we have a problem and we've been able to solve the problem and restructure has come at a cost. Um, they have had to put money away, for example, into super. That might be OK, but you might not want to take that, that cash flow out of your out of your business to do that. So um, it, it can be fixed in certain circumstances, but it's so important to do it first because it's costly to do it later. Mm -hmm. You actually pay more than what you would have had you got the advice to begin with. Yeah, so plan early, plan smart, and plan with the end in mind. Um, Rach, thanks so much for sharing um, so many gold nuggets in there. But for those those that are listening, if you do need some um, assistance or you, you know of someone, feel free to um, shoot them our way and we'll, we'll make sure that um, we review the structure that you're in at the moment and then we can put together a, a plan to make sure that you're not only minimising tax but um, also heading towards your goals in terms of asset protection and, um, and wealth basically as well. Um, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. No worries. We'll Any get you time. on again sometime to um, maybe deep dive into um, you know specific structures that are out of the box and so forth. Thanks, Rach. No worries. Thank you. Bye. Bye.